Ready? You have the cameras rolling? Hello and welcome to The Bunker USA, I'm Jacob Jarvis. In 2017, around a year into his presidency, Donald Trump said, Twitter is a wonderful thing for me, because I get the word out. I might not be here talking to you right now as president if I didn't have an honest way of getting the word out. It used to feel hard to imagine Trump without Twitter, or Twitter without Trump. So when he was banned from the platform following his post around the January 6th Capitol attack, the prospect of him seeking an alternative loudspeaker felt inevitable. But he actually went one further when he threw the ultimate social media tantrum and decided to launch his own platform, Truth Social. I was writing for Newsweek around the time of this being touted and wrote an article headlined, Donald Trump's social media platform can't replace what he lost with Twitter and Facebook. Was I right? How is Truth Social doing? And is it anywhere near having the influence of the sites that ousted Trump? Here to discuss this with me is Kayla Gogarty, Deputy Research Director for Media Matters for America. Hello, Kayla. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. So briefly, how is Truth Social doing? You know, how many people are using it? And can it be on a sort of surface level, morals aside, perhaps considered a success? As you mentioned, True Social was founded by Trump after he was suspended or banned from a lot of the other mainstream platforms. I think he saw it as a way to get back online and and avoid moderation at the same time. The app, it launched back in February. You know, there were a bunch of mishaps at the time. But as of now, it's become a platform for a lot of extremists, incendiary and threatening language, a Mm. lot of that at the hands of Trump himself. He, I think you can look at, you know, how, how, popular it is at just kind of looking at some of his his numbers yeah. there. So his following on Truth Social grew from about 3 million users in June to about 4 million as of October. But that's also just a fraction of the 86 million followers that he had on Twitter before he was permanently banned from, from Twitter. So it is a fraction of that following. But I think one of the things that is particularly notable is that it has become an echo chamber of a lot of extremism, conspiracy theories, and, and harmful rhetoric. Do we have an idea sort of roughly how many people total are using the site? I mean, I would imagine the main draw is Trump. So if Trump has around 4 million followers on it, would it appear that it's probably around 4 million people total actually using Truth Social? I think it's a bit more than that 4 million total, but it's a lot of right-wing users, Mm far-right users, users that have been banned on other platforms, so that sort of thing. So we we see a lot of like QAnon conspiracy theory supporters on there, a lot of other extremists. So it's really become this like echo chamber of extremism. So how is Trump using the platform? How we've been kind of monitoring and keeping an eye on Truth Social is that it's it's been in the news a lot of times because of you know Trump's own rhetoric. He is posting on there. He joined the platform in April, but really started ramping up his posting, especially in in recent months. We've seen him post about almost eighteen hundred times organically, and then has reposted 
about 700 times in those months. And among that, he has been amplifying QAnon um, supporting accounts. We've seen him amplify those sorts of accounts around 130 times. So he has a big presence on that platform, which isn't that surprising, but, you know, it's unfortunate. Is it working, you know, the site as a means of disseminating his messages further, or does it feel like they are kind of festering on the site itself? They they are definitely festering on the site itself, but there is reporting and stuff that does amplify that further. I think what's just particularly notable is that he's getting that message out to mm. these this this base of supporters and this this echo chamber. So like following um, the FBI search at Mar-a-Lago, we really saw people, he was posting pretty frequently on Truth Social at the time, and people on that platform really rallied around that. And we saw a spike in in threatening language, incendiary language against the FBI, attacks on the FBI. And it, and it did result in, in a, a real world incident in which, you know, someone tried to go to an FBI office. I mean, what have you seen of late that seems to be the most concerning to you? And how do you think, you know, notably and markedly has the tone the tone shifted yeah well in in the last week or so he was posting um some anti-semitic rhetoric he's continued to amplify QAnon related accounts just the other day he he amplified a you know baseless claim of voter fraud um for the upcoming 2022 election so it's really kind of setting off some of that you know some of that echo chamber that base that will could potentially lead to you know an additional real world harm and who else of note is using the site are there other major figureheads who are involved in this in this sort of as you describe it in echo chamber are there other people not of the same level of trump but you know yeah there are a lot of right-wing politicians that have joined there are a lot of far-right figures like i said that had been banned on other platforms that have joined we have also seen a lot of QAnon influencers that usually have, you know, large audiences that they push the QAnon conspiracy theory and other conspiracy theories too. So very, very far right figures have kind of made made a home on this platform, and mostly because Trump is on it. Of those, in terms of people who have been banned, could you give us a bit of detail on who, who has m- migrated across? We have identified far-right figures like Alex Jones, Stop the Steals, Ali Alexander, figures like that. You know, a lot of the QAnon influencers, they've been banned from other other sites. Um, so we're seeing a lot of a lot of those kind of QAnon supporting conspiracy theorists also, you know, gaining followings on the platform as well. And, you know, is the website, does it feel to you kind of as bad or worse than you might have predicted the content? to have been just knowing trump's you know previous history of his posts on twitter on facebook uh, media matters we had done a a study looking at his facebook posts in Mm. the year leading up to the january 6th insurrection and we had we had found that a quarter of of his posts on facebook you know pushed election misinformation covid misinformation as well as just extreme rhetoric attacking his opponents, that sort of thing. So we were expecting that that similar 
rhetoric and misinformation, you know, would happen on whatever platform that he that he he is on. And, and that most of that has come to fruition, unfortunately. We have seen both Google Play and the Apple App Store um, now do platform Truth Social. Initially, you know, Google Play, they had said that they were concerned that the platform wouldn't follow proper content moderation yeah. um, processes. And so they had initially, you know, not let not let the app on its on on their Play Store. But now they have, you know, in the last few weeks have allowed the app there. And so, um, you know, there there hasn't been much changes. We know that, you know, there is content moderation issues on the platform. There is, you know, threatening language, the the potential to incite violence. And yet now we're seeing, you know, both Apple and Google kind of uh, capitulate to the app and then yeah. let them on the app store, which also then sort of amplifies, you know, its audience in, in a sense. In your mind, why did it appear those decisions were reversed? And, you know, it doesn't seem like much, as you say, with Truth Social has changed. So does it just seem like this kind of external pressure from sort of loud libertarian slash right-leaning voices has kind of tipped Google and Apple into doing this? Or is it just that it's kind of time has passed and people aren't talking about Truth Social as much as they maybe once were, so they know there's not going to be the backlash there might have been a few months ago? I would say in part, as you mentioned, right-wing voices are have been for years claiming that, you know, tech companies are biased against them and censoring them. Um, and they've kind of been the loudest voices in the room in a sense for that. But, you know, at Media Matters and others, we have repeatedly debunked that and found that it's it's sort of the opposite, that, you know, in the case of Facebook, right-leaning pages continue to get more engagement than, you know, left-leaning or ideologically non-aligned pages. So the mm. fact that, you know, they are saying that they are being censored, we, we do know that there is evidence to show that that is not true. But as they continue to, to push that notion, you know, we have seen tech companies kind of capitulate to that. I would also say that in addition to um, that aspect, Truth Social has supposedly made promises to, you know, Apple and and Google, you know, that they will do some of these content moderation changes based on, you know, historically what has been happening on Truth Social. I'm going to say that those are empty promises, mm. um, but that that is to be seen. But, you know, we are going to continue monitoring it and then pointing out when when there are issues on the platform, you know, so that Google and Apple are aware if if this app is not, you know, following their policies. In terms of this being a kind of a bit of a QAnon meeting place, you know, from what you can see, what are they kind of talking about? What is the the notion of where that is going now? Because it seems like at every turn they are proven wrong and these things they say are going to happen don't happen. So at the moment on Truth Social, what are they, what is possibly being suggested? What is Trump actually talking about here when it comes to the QAnon side of things? Well, the QAnon side of things, you know, QAnon supporters on the platform, they've be really been harping on election misinfo, trying to amplify what they claim is evidence of, you know, potential election fraud, widespread election fraud, voter fraud. Um, you know, just this week, uh, Trump amplified a QAnon linked account 
that was pushing, you know, a video that claimed, baselessly claimed to be, you know, showing some sort of election fraud. So that, as the midterms um, in the United States are approaching, we're, mm. we're really seeing that sort of election misinformation ramp up. But in general, the QAnon supporting, you know, influencers on Truth Social just have large audiences. So it's an audience that, you know, Trump can tap into, other Trump allies can tap into. We've seen some right-wing politicians, you know, go on QAnon supporting shows and things like that just to really tap into their audience. So it's a little bit less about the specific conspiracies and things that are being pushed, though, of course, the election misinformation is extremely problematic. It's partly just being able to tap into that like infrastructure that the QAnon supporters do do have. You mentioned that on on sites such as Facebook, politically aligned posts and remarks seem to gain more traction and right-leaning ones do so too. Why do you think it is then that these right-leaning specific platforms don't then do seem to do that well compared to ones which have a wider range of voices when if you know you would think if the most successful posts on the mainstream platforms are tilted this way how can people then don't seem to lap up entire sites that tilt this way yeah so i i would say that that points to some of the mainstream platforms algorithms so facebook for instance it rewards content that is sensational invokes emotions like anger that sort of thing that naturally uh, gets more engagement and right-leaning pages are really great at that in part to facebook's success and why maybe a, a platform like true social you know hasn't been able to have the success of a facebook for instance is is in part because just facebook has just such a large audience and user base um, mm -hmm. it allows you know people to really tap into to Facebook's user base and kind of sometimes it we've we've seen that you know extremists do even though they they yell about you know Facebook maybe censoring them as I said that you know is is not true but they they still talk say that anyways they use Facebook for that audience and then they try to move them onto other platforms um, so we do see that kind of shift where you know right right wing you know politicians figures and that sort of thing they use facebook and then they try to push them onto you know um an alternative platform you know in, in case they lose their their audience on on facebook if they lose their account or it allows them to maintain their audience on facebook while also then pushing them to more extreme content um, on other platforms that have less moderation policies in this sort of social media ecosystem, we have, you know, there's clearly sort of Facebook, now TikTok, YouTube, and you know, Twitter to a lesser extent who have this level of dominance. But looking at these kind of, I don't know, let's call them libertarian celeb-owned platforms like your Truth Social, Parler, and Rumble, you know, how is Truth Social doing compared to to those two, if we could sort of, you know, maybe re remove the the legacy social media and say, okay, in terms of the the sort of new kids on the block, is it doing well compared to them? Of those three, Rumble far outperforms the others. Um, okay. Rumble's been around for for a bit longer, mm -hmm. um, but it also it's it's Rumble is like an alternative to YouTube, um, so it's more like long form videos and mm. things like that. And Rumble is 
you know, a lot of those QAnon, you know, supporters that are now on maybe Truth Social and things like that, just the nature of Rumble allows them to post their full, you know, episodes yeah. of their shows, things like that. So Rumble does have, I would say, the largest audience of those three. But I think that's just the nature of, of the platform itself. And, and just because it's been around a little bit longer, and really does have the backing of a lot of right wing financiers. I know Peter Thiel, who has, you know, some investments in it, um, you know, right wing figure Dan Bongino does, we've seen Rumble uh, actually have the, the largest audience of the three. In terms of conspiratorial thinking in the United States and how that is spreading, do these platforms really matter that much whilst we still have someone like Tucker Carlson as the most watched cable TV host? Does that sort of dwarf the scope and impact of these kind of platforms? I actually think it's, it's the opposite. I think it amplifies it because not only it, it, it makes the ecosystem of, of this you know, extreme extremism larger. So you have like a Tucker Carlson on Fox News really pushing not even really veiled, you know, white supremacy, white nationalism, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then it's reinforced on these these fringe platforms. A lot of the times users on these fringe platforms will will cheer um, some of, you know, Tucker's language, you know, because it kind of helps them push push their own agendas. For sure. So he's kind of looking to he perhaps wants traction here and people on those platforms can use him to gain traction for themselves. And it's this sort of outrage currency that we're seeing. Yeah, a feedback loop, uh, unfortunately. Um, so it, keep, it, it amplifies that extremism and, and helps push it a bit more into the mainstream. Looking at those extremes, really, you know, we're speaking about these platforms that have a lot of them. From, you know, Media Matters work at the moment, do you feel like this shouldn't be conflated with how America actually is at large? Or do you think there is still remains a wider concern of this split and more extreme split right across the country? I would say that um, based on based on our work, you know, even though maybe it's not a majority of the country, you know, I don't want people to think that it is a majority of the country, but it is a it is a subset that extremism can and has led to real world harm. And, and that's mm. part of the, the largest issue. I mean, we saw that come to fruition on, on January 6th at the Capitol. And as this rhetoric continues, you know, I'm always worried about um, the spread of misinformation um, and how that can hurt our, our institutions and you know, that extremism that can can lead to real world harm, you know, as we see the midterms um, coming up uh, in the next few weeks, we are seeing renewed um, conspiracies around election misinformation, that's that sort of thing. So it's definitely problematic for, for our institutions and our, our continued democracy. Finally, with Donald Trump, do you think his overall influence somewhat appears to be waning? Or do you do you disagree with that? And with Truth Social, does it feel like something sooner or later is probably going to fade away into a somewhat welcome oblivion? 
I would say that Trump, he he did lose a, a significant audience when he was deplatformed after um, January 6th. But there is the potential for him to be replatformed by Facebook, you know, in January, actually. You know, he could regain that audience. Um, and I think while he might not have a broader audience, his supporters still very much support him and are very much willing to, you know, they're still susceptible to his misinformation and, and, and you know, extreme rhetoric. And there is still a potential for, for real, real world harm. Truth Social, I would say that um, the platform itself, um, it financially, I don't believe it's doing that well. Um, it has the potential to secure more of a financial future um, if it if this, you know, there's a planned merger that is supposed to happen to make the company public. So I think it's still to be seen whether the platform will completely just kind of fade away or or whether it's going to be a continued issue. Kayla, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, remember you can back us on Patreon. There's a link in the show notes or just search Bunker Patreon Podcast. For as little as £3 a month, you'll get the episodes early and ad-free and access to exclusive merchandise. This is Jacob Jarvis. Thank you for joining me in the bunker. The Bunker USA was written and presented by Jacob Jarvis. The producers were Jacob Archbold, Jelena Sofronievich and Alex Reese, with assistant production from Kasia Tomaszewicz. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, with audio production and music by me, Jade Bailey. The group editor was Andrew Harrison, and our marketing manager is Gina Richard. The Bunker USA is a Podmasters production. Music